Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Chatsunami. My name's Satsunami and joining me today aboard the USS Chatsunami is none other than the one and only Sean from Review It Yourself. Sean, welcome back. Pleasure to be here, pleasure to be here. Yes, it is a bit rocky on this ship, but we'll make do. This is the movie version, so everything's a wee bit dark, you know, the colours are muted, but we'll persevere, won't we? <laughs> but yeah, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, can't complain, can't complain. It's absolutely boiling hot. So apologies for the uh, the listeners if you get any background noise, but I mean, I've turned my fan off, but I'm not doing this with the window shut, I'm sorry. I don't care how much audio quality is important for podcasts, but we're humans, you know? We're not assimilated like the Borg. We need fresh air. Well, to be fair, they did turn up heating in this film. <laughs> yes, they did. actually, yes, they need a perfect temperature too, so. Yeah, I hope that's not going to be the twist by the end of this episode that will be like resistance is futile. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Chatsunami and review it yourself. <laughs> Your podcast will be assimilated into ours. Well, it feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Desperately trying to assimilate people to listen to your podcast. Now, I'm not saying that Good Pods is like the Borg cube of podcasts, but you know, they've gone awful quiet since this episode. <laughs> Well, I don't know what I make of it. You know, I think I've heard people against them. I've heard people for them. I think it's nice that somebody's trying to do something for indie podcasts, but I feel it's such an uphill battle. You know, everybody seems to do a podcast now, like absolutely. Even like some of my favorite comedians who I never thought would ever do anything like a podcast have started and it's like, oh my God, I don't know. It just seems to be becoming such a mainstream thing, but like all the little indie podcasters were still not getting like massive traction. I know there's a lot out there, but... Because I mean, even when I started like streaming in the 2020s that was the big thing i noticed people were starting youtube channels they were starting twitch channels that kind of thing like i noticed that a wee bit and i noticed that obviously more when i started chatsunami but as you said it feels as if now there is a massive spike i keep getting notifications saying hey do you want to improve your podcast and i'm like no i'm talking about star trek today go away <laughs> oh, just every time you listen to something you can be listening to like the football and it's like and catch up with a brand new podcast and you're like what you're on television already you don't get a podcast like you can have one anybody can have one but i thought it was this nice niche little thing and oh god i think i set my phaser to fucking depression at this one didn't i right back it up a bit. come on right sorry everybody we're just turning the phasers on ourselves here <laughs> this might be like a oh, bloody mainstream podcast <laughs> This is our Dominion War. That's what we're saying. <laughs> Can we keep them in the neutral zone? They've crossed into Federation space. And if Paramount or Paramount Plus or any representatives would like to make first contact with ourselves, please let us know because we could talk about Star Trek for absolute days. So, yeah, feel free. I mean, I can talk about Star Trek up until 2005 for a long time. After that, mm, gets a little bit sketchy. So, I might want to go to Satsu for that. If you, if you want me to do anything pre-2005, I'm your guy. But after that, I'm not really. I mean, it's okay. I'll give it a go. But that raises an interesting question, because before we talk about the film we're going to be talking about today, which is arguably the best Star Trek film that they've produced, at least in the TNG era, what is your history with Star Trek? Have you always been a Trekkie, or did it happen in later life? I wasn't really given much choice. I mean, you know, we've all got baby videos. Well, usually, it's probably as generations go on, but and in the back of our baby videos, you had one or two things. You either had the football or Star Trek. There was never an in-between. So I kind of was 
didn't give him much choice. You know, I've said it before on, on my own podcast that I'm not massively into Star Wars. It's just nothing. It's not something I ever got into. My dad didn't watch it, so it never went on. My dad's massively into films and so that and TV series. He loves them, but if if he didn't like them, I didn't fancy them. I didn't go on. So I didn't see quite a lot of stuff like that. And watching things like Star Wars later on, you know, in your late twenties and early thirties, it doesn't quite have. Sorry, everybody, it doesn't quite have the same impact. Whereas when you've grown up with Star Trek, you know, I remember watching the original series as a kid. Obviously, not when it was first out, and watching Next Generation when it was first out, and then you got Deep Space Nine, of course, and then into watching Voyager as well. I can't really remember watching Enterprise, but I'm sure my dad watched it and just loved them. I loved seeing like the new, who the new captains were going to be. You know, we got Jane Weir, who was fantastic. We got Cisco. So yeah, and I I just loved like seeing who the new captains were. Although Cisco was a commander, and because I was talking to a trekkie at work, and I was talking about the captains, and she was like, oh, actually, Cisco was a commander and then a captain. But yeah, so it's always it's something that I I always watched or at least there was always on in the house. No, I'm not going to pretend as a kid, that as a really young kid during the 90s, I was watching it week to week because I wasn't. But it was always around and it was always something that I watched and I really, really enjoyed. And then obviously going back to, with the extra time we had over the past few years to watch things, I went back and watched The Next Generation. I've got the whole DVD box set of that. Love that one. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, if you're away from home or you're flicking through the channels, there's always a Star Trek playing somewhere. So it's always like a, a go-to for me and it always has been. I like the, certainly in the pre-2005 track. I like the fact that, yes, like in First Contact, it can get incredibly, incredibly dark, but I like the fact, I've no doubt we'll come out this later, but I always like the fact that Star Trek said, like, look, we will get past all these petty differences. We'll get past this. The future won't be perfect, but it will be, you know, much more of a kind of a utopia, which, you know, I think, yeah, of course, it's a bit it's a bit pie in the sky, no pun intended, but I think it's a nicer way to look than, oh, yeah, well, we'll just, uh, than kind of dystopian sci-fi. I think that's what makes Star Trek stand out above a lot of other science fiction as much as I love a bit of dark science fiction I think it stands out in that respect that you're always looking ahead with this kind of positive message of we'll get there we'll get there rather than what some of the later start treks have been doing which is basically yeah you know all the problems we got today yeah we still got them that's my big gripe with the later stuff now it's just so dystopian that it's not Star Trek in my opinion that's an argument for another day <laughs> yeah that's next week's episode yeah. <laughs> but funny enough you say that about not really being exposed to Star Wars because I was actually in the opposite camp i ended up watching a lot of star wars but when it came to star trek star trek for me growing up in the late 90s early 2000s it was seen as this very geeky thing which you know it's kind of more mainstream now it got the dungeons and dragons treatment as it were where it used to be this really niche thing and it had its fan base but people would be like oh a trekkie and everything oh pointy ears but then of course when it got more popular it's more acceptable quote-unquote I suppose to like it in the mainstream but I never really watched Star Trek I knew of it but I was definitely more into Star Wars and everything and then I made friends with someone in school and the closer we got he started saying oh do you want to watch some Star Trek over at mine and I was like yeah I guess and they put on TNG and absolutely loved it I thought it was so fascinating that it wasn't all about fighting and it wasn't all like you know constant conflict and things and obviously there is conflict in pre-enterprise Star Trek but at the same time it wasn't always like that they had time where they took steps back to come up with a diplomatic solution and really talk out their problems didn't always work 
work, sometimes they had to resort to the phaser every so often, especially in Deep Space Nine, but that's a whole other thing. I was actually saying to you before we started recording tonight that during the 2020 lockdowns, I binged Deep Space Nine. And although that has its dark elements that you would usually associate with more of a darker series, I absolutely fell in love with it because it brought up so many interesting questions without compromising what made Star Trek Star Trek. And don't get me wrong, there are one or two things, like the whole Section 31 thing, which, you know, that became completely over the top and everything. But it was a show that was just, as you said, it stood out, it was completely different, and I absolutely loved it. But I have to say, in terms of the films, I never really watched many of them. I watched bits and pieces. I think I actually watched the J.J. Abrams films, like the first two, before I got round to watching the motion picture, the TOS ones, and of course, only recently I've actually caught up and watched, well, most of the TNG films, which it's been quite an interesting insight comparing it to the series. But see, without any further ado, I feel as if we have kept back our thoughts long enough, so as always, we will be right back after these transmissions. Welcome to Shatsunami, a variety podcast that discusses topics from gaming and films to anime and general interests. Previously on Chatsunami, we've analysed what makes a good horror game, conducted a retrospective on Pierce Brosnan's runs James Bond, and listened to us take deep dives into both the Sonic and Halo franchises. Also, if you're an anime fan, then don't forget to check us out on our sub-series, Chatsunani, where we dive into the world of anime. So far, we've reviewed things like Death Note, Princess Mononoke, and the hit Beyblade series. If that sounds like your cup of tea, then you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcast apps. As always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster. If you're a podcaster that records remotely like me, then you'll know how challenging it can be to create the podcast you've always wanted. That's where Zencaster comes in. Before I met Zencaster, I was but a naive podcaster, recording on low-quality, one-track audio waves. But with Zencaster, you can kiss those fears goodbye as they provide crystal clear audio and HD video. Plus, with our all-in-one podcasting suite, recording with guests is extremely simple. From local recordings to post-production, Zencaster has it all. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code CHATSUNAMI. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Imagine a race of beings possessed of one mind, driven by one will, intent on one purpose, to seize our past and control our future. Set a course for Earth. Maximum warp. Now, one captain against orders. Red alert! All hands to battle stations! Must succeed where all others have failed. It looks like the control deck's 26 up to 11. They have assimilated more than half the ship. Surrender yourself or we will destroy your ship. The line must be drawn here. On November 22nd, resistance is futile. Star Trek. First contact. 
So let's talk some first contacts because I think the reason we had the idea for this episode was I had put up a thing on Twitter saying that I was watching it and then you'd replied saying if you want someone to talk to about it on an episode then I'm here and I was like yes get back on this podcast. The Bake Off's not on for another couple of months. Get back on here. <laughs> True. I saw it and I was like oh me me please. Well because it's always great chat with you but then I mean it's, it's Star Trek and it's, it's- some of the best stuff they've done I mean arguably the best film they've done I can't pass this up like I don't care how many other people he talks to about the other ones I need to take first contact because I remember I, I again I, I watched the films a little bit later as well didn't, certainly didn't watch them when they came out and when you watch them all together like first contact is one of the ones that you know yes with Wrath of Khan we know but in terms of the TNG one like the next generation it is by far the best one just in terms of an all round film and a tone and the characters and all, although we'll come out of the characters later but I keep sorry I'm not I keep must remember I'm not hosting this one <laughs> but yeah I mean it's such a standout film and I was like I have to talk about this because you know that Star Wars especially you know that it kind of thunders above all and you know I sometimes feel like it's like oh, can we talk about some classic Star Trek I know there's a lot of love for it out there and there's quite a few podcasts who do Trekkie stuff but I just thought oh, I have to I have to I have to talk about this one Would you believe though that this is the very first episode that we've had talking about Star Trek I mean technically there is one on Patreon where I was talking about Picard but in terms of the mainstream this is really the first episode I actually get to geek out about Star Trek with someone else on the channel so absolutely I am so excited because when I first heard about this film I think I must have been about four or five year old when First Contact came out. It came out in 1996 so I was definitely far too young to be watching it. I'd have been about four as well, four or five yeah. Let alone know what Star Trek was (laughs) at the time so yeah unfortunately I would have been there for the big event or anything but I bet you there's a couple of older Trekkies just like shaking their head <laughs> listening to this being like oh man I remember I was there first day <laughs> yeah I was actually surprised at how well this film held up because it seems as if they've got quite an infamous reputation don't they oh the films definitely I mean there's the whole I can't remember the odd ones that are meant to be bad the evens or whatever they're not as topsy-turvy as say the Halloween franchise so let's not get too ahead of ourselves but they are a little bit you know, the quality does does go up and down it's because some of the films especially like the original series and the next generation ones they go kind of a little bit out to left field every now and again and you can either go with that concept or you can't and if you can go with it and enjoy yourself great but if you can't go with it, it might be a bit of a slog you know so it's, it's one of those things but this had a really good setup as well I mean they say in it that six years ago Picard was assimilated by the Borg which was in the best of both worlds part one which is the series three finale episode 26 and then the best of both worlds part two was the opener for season four obviously episode one so it fit in really nicely which which actually was out in 1990 so technically it was six years ago this film starts and you get that fantastic sweeping score which they've just used for Picard actually uh, season three which is by Jerry Goldsmith and oh, it's just it's just unbelievable it's probably one of the best Star Trek themes you've got outside of Voyager but it's just, it's just lovely but something I do find really interesting about this film in particular is there's a lot of films out there in Star Trek that they don't really reference that much unless they've made a big impact like for example with the J.J. Abrams films you have the infamous Into Darkness where they do the whole can storyline I still haven't got over that Ah, uh, yeah I know it's different timelines and everything but the fact that you have this reboot referencing a film from years and years ago and they're using it as 
a plot line for the new films, you know, that is interesting that they're still using it. And it's the same with First Contact, because one of the things I do find absolutely fascinating, though, about First Contact is the fact that they really draw a lot of references, homages, whatever you want to call them, towards this film in later series. Like, for example, Enterprise has tons of them. They use the launch of the Phoenix in the intro. They have the whole Mirror Universe episode where they have scene by scene the first contact scene, but instead of Cochrane giving his hand and friendship, he brings out a shotgun and guns down the Vulcans. It is a fantastic episode. It's so stupid and over the top. It's great, but the reference that they are, as you said, in Picard at the very end, they use the really just iconic soundtrack from this film. So the fact that even now in 2023 that they're still referencing this film is just absolutely fantastic and it just shows how beloved this is within the franchise. It's just so well put together. I mean, I'd forgotten it was part of the Enterprise opening scenes, actually. But yeah, of course, it's been a long road. You're either with that or you're not. (laughs) See, I'm with it, but there are so many people and I was shocked when I heard that people don't like that. You can find some pretty nice online streaming sites where people have made their own instrumentational version of that song and it works quite well. I think it worked well for what people expected but when you compare it to all the Star Trek themes that came before it it was such a different way of doing it I mean it was like whoa what's this and especially using like a pre-existing song as well although it does fit but you know you have those fantastic scores from Goldsmith and all of a sudden you get this and you get a pre-existing song it's a bit of a shock for people I think can you imagine if they used something like this in this film <laughs> the Borg cube just assimilating the earth and all you hear is it's been a long road <laughs> just, yeah I think people would have walked out being like nah this is a my cup of tea sorry guys sorry but as you said though the intro to this film is absolutely fantastic but I do have one well no sorry make that two slight gripes about it don't get me wrong there'll be a couple of nitpicks I'm going to throw out here but overall spoilers absolutely love this film and also spoilers again that we are are going to be talking about spoilers so if you haven't watched First Contact yet feel free to pause the episode go watch it come back and yeah feel free to join us on this but the two main issues I have is I feel as if this is kind of a thing that is carried on throughout the rest of the series and it's kind of a thing that it set a precedent to what was to come later the fact that it was more action heavy action oriented and a bit more gory at times because you see the beginning that Picard does, as you said, six years previously he's captured by the Borg and it's just very terrifying visuals but then we have a fake jump scare where he's like looking in the mirror and a Borg I don't know, whisk or something pops out of his cheek and then he wakes up again and it's like, was that necessary? I loved it, me. I loved it. Because it harks back to, and I don't think they've made the episode by then, but I think there's an episode, is it Enterprise or Voyager, where they invent the teleporters and it's like the first, I can't remember which one it is, it's been a long time, and a long road the first guy to teleport sees through his hand and it's a bit of like a strange kind of back to the future moment but no i enjoyed it yes it is a bit nightmarish but i think it plays into kind of his state of mind but it didn't come across as like a cheap jump scare but i thought the intro was brilliant i, I love that whole intro i think the issue i have with it isn't so much like the beginning bit where he's trapped in the cube and it zooms out and everything i think that's incredibly done but you know the way when he wakes up and then he has to wake himself up again so he's like in a dream within a dream 
I was kind of like, right, okay, they've just thrown it in because it's a movie and everything. But then, of course, we go from that to the huge action scene where the Federation are fighting the Borg. And honest to God, I love it. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like, I know Star Trek isn't, or it didn't used to be as much of an action-oriented show and everything, but oh my God, it is so cool seeing all these Federation ships just blasting the hell out of Borg cube, or trying to. Yeah. Perhaps today is a good day to die. I think that was part of like the specialness of Star Trek in that they always had the weapons, but the weapons were kind of like, after we thought about it and planned it out, they never really had space battles. That was kind of a special episode. Usually the finales are like a big storyline, but really few and far between. It was always more of a threat in an episode and that kind of tension. Whereas in this, I mean, it, oh, like I said, you said, like the fighting and all the different starships, it's just, oh, it's great. The only other nitpick, as I was alluding to before, was when we finally see the Defiant doing what it was described to do in Deep Space Nine, where they say, oh, the Defiant, which is this new, for anyone who doesn't know, it was like this new Federation ship that was built purely for warfare, and it was built specifically to counter the Borg as a prototype. But it's one of these things that I have seen in a lot of films and series where they always build up a particular thing, especially the Defiant. The Defiant, they're always saying, it's the best ship in the fleet, it's blah blah blah, it does this, it does that, cooks your toast in the morning, gets your coffee, reads you the newspaper, and then when push comes to shove, it gets absolutely bodied and destroyed nearly. Unsinkable Saturn, is that what you Exactly, yeah. <laughs> cough, cough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just knew I was going to drop that. Yeah, they did kind of build it for the new Federation battle fleet. But then again, though, I mean, if we're going to start nitpicking, like, in the Enterprise, whether it's, you know, the B-class or D-class or E-class or whatever you want to go, uh, you know, there's many letters in the alphabet, as Picard says in this, but that's supposed to be like one of the greatest ships in the fleet with <laughs> the amount of times it gets blown up or like the dish flies off there's quite a few times and if flipping heck in the J.J. Abrams universe it's crashing every other week so that is one thing I absolutely hated about those films purely the fact that every single film that's getting blown up and I'm like really? I mean they didn't even get that blown up in the TOS films with the exception of the third film Rest in Peace Enterprise e, I don't know yeah I know what you mean it's always getting destroyed or pieces uh, pulled apart and I know the reason why they have to define it's purely because of Worf being introduced in the story which I always find weird that they brought in Worf but they didn't bring in O'Brien or any of those characters because actually that was something that you and I were actually talking about before we started this episode about how Whoopi Goldberg who plays Guinan in the TNG series and she has like a long-standing history with the Borg wasn't even asked. See, I've thought about this and I think if they'd have had her in it as Dinan, she was always like a sounding board for Picard, you know, when he went to the bar and that kind of thing. I think if they'd have had her in this, she would have taken the role of Lily. I think she'd have taken that lady's role. So I think to kind of count that, they're like, right, well, she's not in this one. And I'm not, I'm not sure if they, I mean, I don't know if, if she's still in the Nexus. I'm not, I'm not sure how they kind of, I don't think they even address it, but who knows? No, I don't think so. And I think the reason behind that is it's going back to what I was saying, that these films set a precedent of being more 
action oriented rather than I'm not saying that all the episodes of TNG were slow burner thinkers and things like that. There were a couple of actiony esque ones, but you know, they were never like over the top, partly because they didn't have the budget for it probably. But you could definitely see that during this time, and I was looking that up earlier, but during this time, I think Voyager had just started in nineteen ninety five and at this point DS9 the show that was oriented towards a huge galactic war between the Federation and all of its allies versus the Dominion and all of its allies, so like the anti-Federation as it were. So the Federation at this point were getting geared more towards a militaristic aspect. So you could see especially on the Enterprise itself that they did have the holodeck and everything, but what they also have, which is something that bled through unfortunately to later seasons whether that be Discovery or God forbid Picard where the ships don't really feel like a home, you know, they feel very cold inside, very metallic, yeah. Yeah, Discovery I mean, if you like it, fantastic right, but it's just I, try, I stuck with it for a season, series I, so can't say I didn't try, mainly for Jason Isaacs if I'm honest, I watched it because he was in it and I just thought the main character I just thought she was just so unlikable and she gets kicked off and kicked out the Federation then she's back then she's a first officer then she's in it was just like what they did in the kind of the reboot the 2009 one which I enjoyed but that was very much like oh well Picard's on board so I guess we'll make a first officer it's like well just Starfleet Academy doesn't work like this like, you don't just walk in and get and you know there was swearing in it and it just felt modern in a lot of ways that it was like no this is this, this isn't right and it got boring and it dragged I mean god I think it's just been cancelled or ended or whatever you want to say but it's like four or five series I don't know anybody who's still watching it in real life I mean I know like, there's always people on the socials who's oh it's the best thing ever which is if it is for you then good for you because I, I don't know anybody who watches it and then the same with the other one Picard Picard yeah again I mean tried to watch the first series of that oh god almost unwatchable I mean this broken decrepit old Picard and nobody wants to see that and then I think for, I've heard on the grapevine I've not watched it yet but I've heard that couldn't bring myself to watch the second series and then the third series apparently because rumour has it it's been made by people who like love Star Trek I'm not saying the other people didn't but apparently it's been made by someone who really like is a proper Trekkie that's really kind of turned it around or so I've heard but just some of the rubbish they've thrown out there with like the lower decks one that looks like a cartoon it looks like a cross between Star Trek and Family Guy but not as inventive and then you've got Strange New Worlds which is like I, I was saying this to the person at work the Trekkie at work like when did the Star Trek series stop standing on their own two feet that Discovery one like she was Spock's sister or some absolute just convoluted rubbish it was just absolute oh you swear on this absolute shit it was just absolute rubbish just grasped out of nowhere by you know is that, is that the best you've got you know Star Trek used to be really inventive like yes it started to struggle in its later years with Enterprise and it kind of eventually gets cancelled and they all let it finish but they were always trying to do something new they always had new captains new crews yeah they had a few characters like Worf and the Doctor who would like float around every now and again and appear different things but the last few series have just been like and then you get Strange New Worlds like, I have no interest in watching that hiking before the original series it's like no no why don't you just make something new and sell it on its own merit but they just don't seem to be able to do that like, I think people forget now how much of a gamble like the next generation was a lot of people think or oh, thought at the time not that I was there but a lot of people apparently thought at the time that this was going to be a real struggle because well you've got the original crew there this isn't going to work whereas now if anything I would argue that 
fact, the next generation is arguably a little bit more popular than the original series. Maybe it's just a passage of time. Who knows? But it was a big gamble. See, the thing is, though, and especially with this film, they are definitely a time capsule of the way that sci-fi was seen at the time. So, for example, with the 60s and 70s, you know, it's very much that very campiness. It's over the top, you know. It's, oh, look at us. Look at our idea of peace through the stars because, you know, 60s and 70s, that was the kind of big movement at the time. Whereas with the 80s and 90s, it was a little bit more cynical, but not to the extent that it is nowadays. And when you get to the late 90s with the next generation films, like especially with First Contact, with Nemesis as well, those films have much more of an edge, especially the ones that bleed into the early 2000s. And I feel as if First Contact seems to be that sweet spot, to be honest, between one that's overly gritty versus one that maybe doesn't go far enough. For example, with Star Trek Insurrection, which I was surprised that came after this. I thought it came well before, but that was just very campy, over the top. It was more of a long episode. Then you've got Nemesis, which is the absolute opposite end, where it's nothing but action. It's got a lot of quite, I suppose, problematic elements now that you look at it, you know, with the whole invading people's minds, and I'll just leave that sentence there for anyone who hasn't seen it, but you know, you get to this film, and you get a genuinely terrifying villain, because I feel as if nowadays the Borg have become almost Funko-popified, if that makes sense. You know that idea of a villain that was absolutely amazing on its debut with the TNG series, and then they brought them back a couple of times, and then they kind of brought them back a little too much in Voyager. Do you watch Doctor Who much, Satsu? Uh-huh. Right, yeah. I've got a perfect comparison for the Borg. The perfect comparison for the Borg in, in New Who, Doctor Who since 2005, is the Weeping Angels. The first oh, time they yes. appeared, they were terrified. Then they brought it back again. They were slightly less scary. Then they brought it back again. Then they brought it back again. And it's like, right, you've diluted them now. No, you're absolutely spot on. Because, yeah, the Weeping Angels were just terrifying when you first saw them. They were, for anyone who doesn't know, they were just like stone statues that as soon as you blinked or looked away from them, they were able to move. But they would, you know, contort themselves into really scary positions and the light would be flickering and they managed to get you. And it was absolutely fantastic. And it's the same with the Borg as well, because the whole concept of the Borg is they don't really have any subjective feelings. They're like the antithesis of the Federation. I know I kind of joked earlier about the Dominion being the anti-Federation, but the Borg practically are a mirror of what the Federation could be. They are just one hive mind. They just operate for the collective. They don't think about free will. They just assimilate worlds and they make you into a drone. And I don't know about you, but the thought of having my individuality just ripped away from me and having to be conscious throughout that, because even Picard in that episode where he gets captured by the Borg and the follow-up episode, that's a great one, where he goes home and he just has such an emotional breakdown with his brother about how he wasn't able to do anything, and that kind of gives him the courage to compose himself and get back into the boots of becoming Jean-Luc Picard. Nowadays, as you said, it's become so diluted because Picard, the TV show, used them so many times that it kind of became unbearable, that, you know, by the time they brought them back, and you're like, 
like, oh, great, the Borg. Oh, yay, there's the Borg in season two. Oh, is that more Borg? Oh, great. Whereas you get the feeling in First Contact that they are absolutely unstoppable. Oh, absolutely. It's a little bit like, and I know this is a random, random comparison, but it's a, it's a bit like the creatures in X-Men Days of Future Past, where it doesn't matter how many times you kill them, they will learn from that and adapt all the alien creatures in the massively underrated Tom Cruise slash Emily Blunt vehicle, Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow, that kind of thing. I, lo- like, I love that idea that it doesn't matter how much you kill, like, you know, you learn and you try and take us down, we'll learn from that. I love that through the film, like, oh, we've got 10 shots, we've got 12 shots, we've got, oh, we've got one or two shots if we're lucky. But it makes us such great tension and they kind of beat them on fluke, really, with data and they're pretty much stuffed. So, just, yeah, but I know what you mean. Like, when you talk about Star Trek reflecting the time it's in, yeah, I get what you mean and people could argue that we're in a much more cynical time. But for me, we wouldn't be if media didn't keep telling us we were in such a cynical time. If we just decided to look at the positives a little bit more, instead of just forever looking at the negative, we might find you know, a little bit like the message is, is in this film. They've come through, you know, Cochrane in the 21st century. They've, they've come through a, sec- a third world war, a nuclear war. The, the band of survivors that are around are in all these factions. They agree not to fire on each other, which is what they think the Borg, they don't realise the Borg aren't a faction. He's basically, you know, oh, I'll get money, I'll, I'll create this new spaceship. That's what his motivations are, you know, I'll be honest. And this Cochrane guy played brilliantly by James Cromwell, who was also in the Green Mark Griffin. But he's thinking that, whereas in the future, they've looked back on it and been like, he wanted to reach the stars, wasn't this first contact moment where the Vulcans, it turns out, spider alert, come down and see that humans have got warp drive and basically come down and wish us to live, live long and prosper, which is a great scene. But from their point of view, it's all the view of like, oh, look, we look back and you were like really positive and he's like, well, no, that wasn't the reality. And I just think if we just used a little bit of that optimism in some of the newer Star Trek, I, I know how this is going to sound, but I, I, I don't care. The best Star Trek that's going now is the Orville. <laughs> Seth MacFarlane's the Orville by an absolute country mile. If you want proper Star Trek, Star Trek Next Generation stuff, go watch the Orville. That's where you're going to get it. That got better and better and better. Well, you raise an interesting point because you were talking there about the whole progression of the series after this into this more cynical worldview. The fact is that it has changed probably for the worse or for more of a different audience, let's say, rather than the more optimism of like the 90s and maybe by extension the 2000s before things started to go downhill. But it feels as if this film encapsulates quite well what made Star Trek so iconic. And I think it relates to two things. It relates to the setting, first of all, where they go back in time. And I know people have said this. It ends up once the Borg get destroyed, quote-unquote, they release this ship that can travel back in time and people put up the glasses and snort and say, oh, why didn't they go back to the 1950s and do that? That's not the point. There wouldn't be a film if they didn't go back to this particular point. But the point they go back to is 10 years after the Third World War is over, the world is just in shambles. It is just a wasteland and everything. There are different coalitions and factions fighting for control and they land in, I think it's April 4th, literally the day before they are going to be discovered by the Vulcans. And as you said, Cochrane just wants to be, he just wants very materialistic things. He sounds a bit like a Ferengi saying, oh, I just want women and money and having to sell it off, you know, I don't care. And you can understand why, because he lives in this hellscape, this apocalypse. But on the flip side, you've got two stories going on. You've got the crew members trying to convince Cochrane to go ahead with the flight of the Phoenix. But on the other side, you've also got Picard 
starts struggling with this inner turmoil with him wanting revenge and there's the obvious yet very fantastic comparison that they make in the film where Lily references Moby Dick and that of course is the whole story of a captain that gets so jaded about this white whale that maimed him that he hunts it for all his life and his whole life is just consumed with this anger and it's the same with this and as I said before I feel as if nowadays the whole idea of Wolf 359 and people being like oh I've been hurt by the Borg it's like oh grow up there's worse things out there (laughs) it's like come on now the fact is you've got Picard wrestling with that and you even see him go to a very dark place even times where he is actively enjoying killing people he doesn't even flinch when he rips out the heart or the data or memory core or whatever it is he rifles them via the data card where he rifles them full of hollow bullets because he he disengages the safety protocol You know, he's not minding his caboose dicks there, is he? So he pulls out his Tommy gun and rifles down the Borg. And then the crew basically saying to him, look, we're losing every single deck. They've lost over half the crew to the Borg. And it's like, look, we need to retreat. He has that awesome scene with Worf where he's like, I think you're being a coward. And obviously Worf being a Klingon, I mean, to, to call, you know, it's death before dishonour. To be called a coward, you know, that it is absolutely disgraceful. It's worse than a disgrace. So he is like, if you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand or whatever he says. And then you get Picard, but they're all so ingrained in following his decisions because they're usually the right ones that they continue to do that but you get Lily who ends up up there because she passes out because of radiation sickness she's in the 21st century she's Cochran's well they insinuate towards the end that they're going to get together but she's great and she's basically reminds him that look Jean-Luc blow up the damn ship you know blow up the, and he's like no and he screams no and he smashes the model that you see through the series with the model ships behind with all the different enterprises and different ships and he gives the awesome speech and I will not sacrifice the enterprise we've made too many compromises out too many retreats they invade our space and we fall back they assimilate entire worlds and we fall back not again the line must be drawn here this far no further and I will make them pay for what they have done and she's like oh you broke your little ship see around Ahab and like you said she's referring to Moby Dick and you know the whole somebody's white whale but it's just absolutely fantastic and that's before you even get to the scenes between Data and the Borg Queen it's just fantastic stuff it really is it's top notch Trek like I don't think it gets much better to be honest and it's got a good sense of humour in there yeah it's a little bit it's not goofy it doesn't quite get to goofy but you know there's certainly some stuff in there with data which is very how long is it data I'm fully functional and all that kind of stuff but it's very tongue in cheek it makes sense of what she's trying to do because if you wanted to get data to give up the code you need to kind of turn him and how do you turn an android with no emotion well flick his emotion switch back on give him skin yeah I know I like that stuff I thought it was clever it all makes sense I like a story that makes sense if that makes sense <laughs> no absolutely it tells the story in a relatively believable way within the universe itself. Again, there's bits and pieces that you could pick apart and be like, well, why did the Borg go to this part of human history? Why did they do this? Why have they got a time machine? Blah, blah, blah. But in terms of what we've got here, in terms of the story itself, it is just done in such a good way that doesn't necessarily, as we said, compromise what made Star Trek Star Trek. And when Picard, this is the annoying thing because when Picard in later films and then later series and then overall later series that aren't related to Picard, when they have an action scene, human life just seems very disposable, almost to the point that it feels very much like the Warhammer 40k universe at times, especially in Into Darkness. I always remember that. There's a scene where they blow a hole in the side of the ship and these people are getting sucked out completely. And you know, these poor people, even in the 
original TNG series, they were always very remorseful. Like, there's an episode, ironically enough, called Lord X, where a Bajoran crewmate is asked to do an undercover mission, and spoiler, skip five seconds ahead if you don't want to find out what happens, but she gets killed, and Picard has to give a full speech saying, so-and-so got killed while on active duty, she was a fantastic member of the crew, whereas when it comes to Nemesis and everything, they're like, woohoo, human life, what's the cost of that? They just have all these over-the-top action scenes and they don't really give you time to breathe or mourn over them, and you do have scenes like that in this, where Picard initially is just willing to sacrifice his crew to stop them from invading the ship, as we said, but then at the same time, it does link back really well, because you get that scene in the holodeck where he rips the, as we said, the data code out, and he says very coldly, yes, that was Ensign Lynch, and he just, he doesn't blink when he does it, he just sees a combadge, and then it's just like, yeah, sure, and there's another bit I'm a bit annoyed at where he kills someone who's been assimilated, or just mid-assimilation, and I was like, well, Picard, if you don't mind me saying, you were rescued and deborgified. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's a very damaged Picard. I know people who don't like Picard in the films at all, because he goes from being somebody who would, the complete antithesis of Captain James T. Kirk, and that he wouldn't rip his shirt off and start to fight. He would think his way out of a situation. He was a thinking man's captain. Whereas in the films, he gets very much, especially as it goes on, it becomes more action-orientated. I think he's a very damaged captain. He's clearly suffering. Although, part of me is thinking, well, why? Why is it taking him six years to all of a sudden start having this? But it's not, you know, not uncommon. And maybe the fact the Borg are around and he can hear them has triggered some kind of post-traumatic stress disorder. Because he is very much a captain. Well, he's a person struggling with that. You can see it throughout. And yes, he's very cold at times. I mean, I would say I think it's kind of more of a mercy killing. Not that I'm advocating such, but it's, it's just a film. Because he knows that the guy's going to suffer. And if there's one point where he says to the crew, you'll probably meet assimilated crew members. Trust me, just shoot. You, you'll be doing them a favour. And it kind of feels like sometimes he feels like he'd rather have died. But I did think, well, they saved you. So, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of death in this one. But it just serves to underline how like ruthless the bog are. You can't talk you out of this one, John Luke. And it's, I mean, not that he's in a fit state to for most of it. But I do know that conflicts because some people feel like he goes. Not myself. I can see why people would argue it. That I think he goes from being a thinking man's captain to being essentially a kind of a warmonger, somebody who would much rather run towards a battle than run away from it. Well, he he literally does in this. He disobeys orders. <laughs> and uh, to be fair, it gives one one of the best lines of the film with Data, where he's like, "Sir, I think I speak for all of us here when I say to hell with our orders." And it's like, "Yeah, go on." Funnily enough, if anything, I actually feel like out of the whole crew, Riker. Maybe it's because he was under you know Jonathan Frakes was under directorial duties, but he feels not massively involved in this one. Maybe that was on purpose. And, and of course, it is so focused on Picard that it does make sense. But what did you think? Did you feel like he? Was, I mean, it just felt like a few of them, the ones that kind of were beamed down. I mean, Beverly Crusher does virtually nothing. You've got uh, George the Ford just virtually nothing. You get the great scene with Deanna Troy where she's she's absolutely she's pissed. That's a good scene with her and Jonathan Frakes and James Cromwell. And so that you feel like a few of them are kind of sidelined a little bit because this is this is Picard's baby. But you know if that's what needs to happen for such a good film then, <laughs> then I'll accept it. You know I'm sure they get their time to shine elsewhere. I don't know how you feel about that. Or... Well, here's an interesting trivia fact. I don't know if you know. Apparently in the earlier drafts of this film, the roles of Picard and Riker were supposed to be swapped. So Riker was supposed to be the one fighting the Borg on the Enterprise and Picard was supposed to be helping Cochrane try to get the Phoenix up in the air. That makes more sense. 
sense. <laughs> that makes more sense. It does, doesn't it? But do you think that would have worked the same? No, because you'd have had to have taken out all the stuff about Cosmos. He's never been assimilated. But I do think Picard would have cut his losses far earlier. I mean, they're on that ship till the till and they try to self-destruct it right at the eleventh hour. I mean, the crew, the crew's virtually wiped out, apart from the main deck, and there's virtually nobody left. When they decide, right, we need to call loss. I think Riker would have done it much earlier. I think he'd have evacuated much earlier. But it makes more sense. But it certainly wouldn't have made for it for a good film, to be honest. I think if it was an episode, then maybe it would have. But I totally see what you mean. Thematically, it does make more sense for Picard to become very obsessive with the ship. I totally agree with you. Going back to what you were asking there about whether or not I think that they don't really have anything to do. You're right. Once Crusher gets out of the sick bay and then Lily kind of branches off, that's really all she does in the film. Troy and Riker, they're just kind of there. It sounds weird, but it feels almost as if, and nothing against Jonathan Frakes, I think he's a fantastic actor and Riker is one of my favourite characters, but I feel as if it's like in this film, he's the kind of person that he's won a ticket to be on a Star Trek film, if you know what I mean. So he's a bit part in the background in this. You're obviously not at the beginning. At the beginning, he is relatively instrumental, but once he's down there, yeah, him and Jordy really more focused on getting Cochrane up in the sky. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I do think, I mean, it might be wrong. There might be uh, there wasn't no there was no deleted scenes on there. There was only like a teaser trailer and a theatrical trailer, which were great, by the way. We've lost the ability to do good trailers as well in the last few years, but there was no like special features outside, no deleted scenes or anything, at least in the DVD that I've got. I don't know in that respect, but yeah, I don't know if in that respect whether there were deleted scenes and they kind of siphoned down and took bits out of that Earth sequence. But I would argue that Jonathan Frakes probably keeps his character out of it as much as he can so that he is able to direct it. I mean, it works, the story. I think it works that you've got those two sorting things out. And yeah, I did think that, but the bar had taken over the ship and I'm thinking, why don't you kind of like blow up that rocket, but the spaceship, but I suppose, yeah, they kind of, they do their best to. Yeah, I see your point because if it is direct in the film, you don't want to be too involved, otherwise it becomes the Riker show, Feet Picard. The thing that is great about this film is just, as we were talking about before, is how thematically great this film is. Like, as we said, you've got the Borg storyline between Picard, and you've got the subplot with Data and the Borg as well, which is interesting, if not just a bit strange in a way. I know why they got Data out of the way, because I think the film would have been over a lot sooner if Data was beside Picard rather than in the hands of the Borg Queen and Alice Krieg does a fantastic job as the Queen in this film. That shot of her coming down to connect with her body to ILM, Industrial Light Magic, five months to do and it still holds up. A lot of the stuff, I meant to say this earlier, a lot of the effects hold up. Yes, there's a few bits here and there where it shows that it's got the best part of 30 years old but it's going to. Like CGI is always going to go that way but they used a hell of a lot of model work in this film from what I was reading. That whole section where the navigational deflector scene where they go on like the dish underneath and they have to stop the bar because the bar are trying to shoot down and if that happens it's, it's all over and I just I love that scene and it was just great the other tension of attacking the bar and I like the fact that the Borg won't engage you until you become a threat so you can essentially walk through them as long as you don't threaten them yeah I thought that made for like such a fantastically creepy scene especially when Picard's trying to lead Lily through them and she's screaming and he's just like look kind of keep going because usually it like felt almost like a 
zombie film where you camouflage for them a little like World War Z a little bit so yeah I like that that was, that was good yeah the surprising thing is for a lot of films in the late 90s that were made especially sci-fi ones you don't really expect them to hold up as well effects wise but the effects in this are absolutely fantastic even today as you said you've got that horror film vibe you've got the dark claustrophobic corridors the scene especially I love is when the security team are walking through the corridor and then they manage to break through to one of the doors because they're getting chased and then all you see is the eyepiece lights just oh, shining yeah, that through was great, it. That, yeah. yeah it builds tension so well and I know I talked about the jump scare quote unquote jump scare you know it, it was a minor jump scare at the very beginning but you know there's no real cheap scares it's more the horror of being assimilated by the Borg and it brings back the horror and the fear if you're watching Star Trek nowadays thinking oh they're not so scary they just fly around in the Rubik's Cube watch this film and you'll see how scary they're really supposed to be and the film as well was I mean it's set in the mid 21st century but it was originally it was going to be set in the European Renaissance which would kind of fit slightly with the way the, the series have gone before showing Picard as like a captain on a ship type thing in the holodeck but actually I mean that would have made for an interesting film I don't think it would have worked as well and I can imagine budget wise it would have been an absolute disaster <laughs> to try and but I think it was definitely interesting I mean and the Borg were redesigned as well because they were never happy with how they looked in the series because you know budget concerns but obviously with the film you get a lot more you have a lot more money the ship I mean I was surprised because I'd forgotten the Enterprise E it's a lot slender than the Enterprise D so it looks a bit differently and yeah it's just it all seems to come together really well and it's no wonder that this is kind of pretty sure it's rated one of the best in the series in terms of the films definitely out of the TOS era and TNG and I mean even extending to the later films would you say that this is probably one of if not the best Star Trek film that they've put out yeah I think so quite comfortably I'd argue that I've always had a bit of a soft spot for uh, Generations which I know is not everybody's cup of tea but yeah I think this is definitely the, the best Next Generation film they did by an absolute mile it just it's I'm a Trekkie so I hope people know what I mean by this next bit but it's a good film in its own right like I feel like you could have walked in to this in 1996 never seen Star Trek before and got what was going on because it lays it out for you it doesn't spoon feed you but it's Picard says six years ago I was I was, I was assimilated blah 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 and it brings everybody in and yeah you might have been a bit confused as to kind of Riker and a few of them that were sidelined a little but I'll take it but outside of that it's like yeah this is great they should have had a great time I do think it's it's one of the best ones and it has made me the minute I finished watching it I was like where's my Insurrections DVD where's the other one I was dying to start another one so yeah I forget how much I enjoy these and I like the little moments where Star Trek never forgets that it's about people and relationships and not just our relationships with each other but our relations across like the world and with different countries and stuff and what it means to be human and what does it mean to be human and so you have data and the bit where Picard's talking about seeing the rocket in the Smithsonian and never been able to touch it and he stands there and he touches the metal and obviously data holds it and starts computing all these deflections and inflections and <laughs> these faults in the metal and Picard says you know it's a very human emotion to touch something it makes it more real to you and I love that Star Trek 
never forgot those little moments. It never, because it was always at the base of it, the writing was, I'm making it sound like some kind of utopia. They weren't all fantastic, don't get me wrong. But it never forgot, even in like the worst series or the worst films, they always had moments where they reminded you, we know what we're doing with those moments where you thought, yeah, good good writing, good scenes, good characterization. Even in like the films that didn't really land Nemesis, there's always moments where it showed that glimmer of why it's so special and why it's gone on for as long as it has in all these different iterations. And I think that's something not to bring it down because I'm not but for me that is why the later series you know from 2000 whenever Discovery started they never connected with me in that way because you know I'll give Picard season 3 a go but they just never connected with me in that way because the writing quality for me just just it just isn't there I don't understand now we're like 30 years on almost from this film and we've got nothing anywhere near it so it just pains me a little but you know overall but yeah I, lo- I absolutely love this one because I mean the fact that TNG came out relatively soon after the original series and their films and you know it was more the late 80s and on to the 90s that Picard and his merry band of men as it were took to the Enterprise D and decided to do their adventures but it feels as if the more and more the series goes on the more it starts to lose track of what made Star Trek Star Trek. You've got a million and one oh cyberpunk dystopian sort of shows or films and I mean I've seen my fair share of good ones, bad ones, I've seen a lot of international ones recently where it's just no one will work together, everything's blown up. I feel as if nowadays and especially with this film, I feel as if if they did have that very optimistic like oh look at us, we all work together and blah 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 and it was just squeaky clean, then I can understand why people nowadays don't like that kind of point of view. I think we're not getting given that option if we were given that option, all we get all the time is told how bad everything is, how disenfranchised we all are from each other and how separated and how there's, there's all this problem and that problem. No, if you put a series up like this, it was much more hopeful and was much more... You watch the people flock to it. I mean, I know it's really out there, but you look at the reception to a film like uh, Top Gun Maverick, 40 years on, a film made in the 80s that was all right, wasn't great. Maverick comes along and blows it out of the water because it's an unashamedly positive, flag-waving action film that just goes we know what you want and we're going to give it to you I think if a series did what Star Trek does it's like the Orville I think the Orville is very similar to this it, it tries to give you that more positive look yes there's a bit of comedy sprinkling there because it's Seth MacFarlane but that if, if people haven't seen the Orville god just go treat yourself stick with it in the first series because it was trying to find its feet in terms of drama and comedy but after that oh it really finds its feet and it's exactly what this is and it's made by a lot of the same people that made Star Trek Next Generation some of the same producers some of the same composers designers the lot he basically just went out there and was like can we find the people who made this I want to do my own version and I think if people were given that option of having something that was much more positive and much more like look are we in rough times yeah but we've always had rough times and get through this and tell you what just don't mention what we're going through now give us a film where it's just look we'll get through this it's a journey to the stars Star Trek's back you're going to love it we don't want to be told about all the problems in 2023 I'm not interested because I think that's the problem a lot of films make a lot of series make oh we need to reflect now (laughs) no you don't you're meant to be a fantasy show set in space just give me what I want give me good writing and I will I will eat it up with a spoon and then I'll go out and buy all the dolls and all the franchises stuff. I'll go for it but give me like negativity and darkness and death without any kind of levity without any, you can't watch that for very long I think if we were given the opportunity for some kind of a series that was like look on the positive side I think people would eat it up and I think if it was given chance to find its audience we absolutely would I mean the Star Treks that are out now they're not exactly killing it <laughs> not exactly blowing up well speaking of fantasy 
and arguably one of the best trilogies of all time in terms of film. It actually reminds me of a particular scene from Lord of the Rings, in particular The Two Towers, where Frodo has pretty much a bit of a mental breakdown towards the end of the film. He is just completely despondent, he's nearly killed his best friend. You know, the world is burning, both literally and metaphorically around them, and he basically says, what are we fighting for here? What are we doing here? You know, what is the point of going on? And Sam has this absolutely beautiful speech where he essentially says, and this is how it's kind of summarised towards the end, he says, there's still good left in the world, Mr Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. And that, to me, first of all, I feel as if that is just the perfect quote, because, you know, in this day and age, even with all the horrible stuff going on, there are good elements that we still have that people can't take away from us, and you know, you have to hold on to that and remember. But in terms of Star Trek, that was something that they used to do so, so well. They used to tell you that, yeah, even in Deep Space Nine, you had this galactic war, which, don't get me wrong, there was horribleness in it, there was just utter atrocities going on but at the same time what they were fighting for was the federation for the rights of the individual for people to have a future to have those good times to remember back fondly and especially going back to first contact that is exactly what they do here it's the fact that initially Picard is so focused on getting his own way he wants to kill the Borg he wants to destroy them and then any other film any other sci-fi series he would just do that you know all the crew would be dead but he would be the I don't know Van Damme or Steven Seagal kind of character like he would just kill the Boar Queen and you know everyone would be dead but he would be alive and that's a happy ending in these kind of films but it's the fact he manages to rein himself in and the fact he says I shouldn't have put myself first like that to the extent that later on he apologises to Worf for as you were talking about earlier what he said and everything and he finds finally realises about the bigger picture there, about the future of humanity, and I just I love the finale for this film. Whether people nowadays find it cheesy or not, I don't care. I just think it's beautiful. The fact that they meet the Vulcans that he has no idea how to greet them, and he's like, oh, um," so he just shakes his hand and everything and it's just like that one moment that you know from that moment that an age of peace, and I was about to say prosperity but not really because they get rid of currency but you know an era of just peace and a golden age of space travel is going to come from this one moment and it's just beautiful to watch. You hope so it was such a I was surprised how emotional it was not like I wasn't crying or anything but I was surprised how it is such like a heartfelt hopeful message and that was what Star Trek was always meant to be and I think going back to what you were saying earlier we were both talking about how the series as it's gone on it's got further and further away from what Star Trek was meant to be I think it was because Gene Roddenberry kept you know a very strong hand on the tiller in terms of what he felt Star Trek should represent what it shouldn't represent obviously once he passes away oh, he passed away in I think the early 90s maybe 93 something like that I think it's the last film he sees it generations or it might not even have been that far bless him but he passes away and then it's kind of like right well where do we go now and that that's when you start to get people who bring in their own ideas on what Star Trek should be and Star Trek was you know always meant to represent the future and you know like Picard says we've got away from currency we've moved away from like what you don't get paid and he argued 
confusing this that the ship's more like my home because you know Lily says to him well, a long time to be away from home and he's like well actually the ship is my home and the crew is my family and he doesn't say that but you see it in the series and stuff and it's it's like such an interesting way of looking at it because for a lot of people now jobs are just something you go to and if you said to a lot of people would you do this job and you get paid no you know very few of us are in jobs that we love I mean it's fantastic when you get that I just I love when films do this and I think that again that's what made Star Trek stand head and shoulders above other things including I could be Star Wars in my respect. I know the different very different beasts but just in terms of like oh the, no the future's not all war and the dark side and the light the future is yes there's a few you know there's Federation space and there's you know the stuff like that and there are Klingons or there are you know Romulans or whatever that we have peace treaties with and sometimes it doesn't quite go that way but we're all different species and we're all trying to work it out but humanity's really got shit together and I'm like I like that is it realistic who knows but if you don't strive for something if you just forever telling yourself and forever telling everybody around you that oh, the world's such a horrible prejudiced dark place then can it ever become something different because if you're for it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy if you're forever telling yourself you're useless then are you ever going to rise to something you know that's got a bit deep but you know what I mean I like the fact the film's like actually you know what if you get it together work together and look what you can do we we see that I mean it's a tough sell of an example but you see that in countries where they're going through a natural disaster or a war where the, everybody has to band, and a war is a horrible thing, of course, but disaster where you ha- everybody has to band together because if they don't, it, it, it's horrendous for everybody. You know, you ha- where you have to put aside those individual wants and desires and the idea that we could do that and actually push on. It's like, great. And I'm not talking about communism. Or, you know, I'm not talking about that because that's not what the film's trying to argue here. I don't want to get misconstrued and I'm not getting political, I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, it's what I've always loved about Star Trek. It makes you think. I've always loved films and TV shows that make you think, make you question. I can't remember who it was, but it'll be in my Shining episode if anybody wants to go check that out. I'm not plugging it. I'm plugging it for a reason. That's your promise. Yeah, in that episode, there was a quote and I watched all the behind the scenes. Oh, fascinating behind the scenes stuff. And I watched it and one of the directors, and I can't remember, it wasn't a director of the shine it wasn't Kubrick it was somebody else and he perfectly summed up how I feel about films and it was filmed like 30 years ago or 20 odd years ago and he basically says films are not meant to reflect now they can if they want to be a period piece but they are meant to be a fantasy they're meant to give you different things to think about or maybe reflect society back at you and have you think about it but they're never meant to tell you where to stand they're meant to tell you right this this is what happens you know it's like the earlier Star Trek series stuff there's the episode that had one of the ones that I really enjoyed it does have Wesley Crusher in it so stick with me while I explain what I mean in that he goes to a planet and he like runs on a grass to get a ball back or something and he's broken one of their rules and he's condemned to death but it's their rules but Picard's like well hang on he, he didn't know he didn't mean to. and it's that kind of thing of it never used to tell you where to sit it used to say well you can see where these guys are coming from and you can see where these guys are coming from and we're going to try and obviously put it down the middle somewhere but you decide who's right and who's wrong here I like that always have the thing about the series itself is it always proposed these thought provoking questions don't get me wrong not all of them landed like you had the weird goo monster episode you had the one with the masks you know you had some that you were just like what the hell is this but you know you have the other ones that as you said they provoke very interesting questions like especially with the whole idea of the prime directive and everything is it right to involve yourself when you have the power or is it right to stand back and let it happen whether it's war or natural disaster it was just such a thought-provoking show and that definitely is and first contact I would say because 
is as one of these films towards the end of TNG's run as a film series, which it is a shame that Insurrection and later Nemesis would be the last films because, I mean, in my opinion, they weren't really that strong. They had their good moments, but just they weren't as strong as this. Because at the end of the day, this is the one that still retained those values, even though there are a couple of things you can nitpick. Because earlier on, I put out a tweet asking people to give us their opinions. Someone actually got back. It was the Movie for Days podcast who had said, looking purely at the TNG movies in relation to First Contact, it's either the first or second best to them. Lots of charm, draw-dropping moments and great guest actors. It's very well directed and lots of fun. It doesn't hold up to the tightest of scrutiny, but none of them really do. And I think that is a very interesting point there, that yeah, you can pick apart the film, you can say, well, isn't there a Dominion War going on at this point? Or what's going on here? What's going on there? But at the end of the day, if you're looking for a film with a relatively good message here about fighting for a better future as opposed to fighting for yourself, you know, for very selfish reasons and hurting or sacrificing people along the way, then this is a great film that displays relatively the best of Star Trek. As I said, there's obviously the one or two moments, but beyond that, beyond in terms of the bigger picture, I think personally it does an absolutely fantastic job. Yeah, and it poses questions that sometimes it doesn't answer, or partly answers, you know, the whole argument about when does making a stand against an enemy become a pursuit of revenge, and can you ever truly rise above revenge? They pose that as well, like, oh, you've got, Lily says to Picard, well, what, the 24th century, you've gone above war, you've gone above revenge, you've gone above all this, but I saw your face when you shot them Borg, you were almost enjoying it, and it, it poses that question, it never tells you who's right, who's wrong, because it doesn't need to, there was a time in the world where you didn't have to, have it wasn't so black and white, but she basically says to him, look, I, I saw your face, I was there, I saw what you did, and, and it's basically saying the 24th century, they say they're all hoity-toity and they've risen above all this stuff, but are they really? I mean, it's not been really, it's not been cynical about it, but it's just posing that question of, is it as rosy as they say? I mean, I, I would like to think it is, but nothing's ever perfect. It's fascinating. This is going to sound like a really weird example to compare it to, but have you ever heard of the Total War series of games? Yes. Yes, I have. I remember playing that religiously, ironically enough, because it's set in medieval times, but I remember playing it religiously when I was younger and, you know, it was great for learning maps and things, but in that game, I would always get quite frustrated because there was a lot of nations. Of course, the aim of the game is you take a country in either Europe or North Africa or the Middle East and you basically have to fight for your territory. Is that the one that had, didn't they have a Napoleon one and and a British Empire one or an Empire one? Yeah, that's the one. I remember getting so frustrated at moments. Like, there was one where I was playing the Holy Roman Empire or as it's known today, of course, Germany, where I had taken <laughs> Sardinia, which is, of course, the tiny wee island, or sorry, well, it's bigger than Corsica, but let's not get into that, but yeah, it was just south of France slash Germany, and I remember I took it, I was happy with myself and I left my emperor there. Bad decision because two seconds later, the Milan faction, now known as Italy, ended up killing him. So I decided in a very rational way to, yeah, wipe Italy off the map because I was so 
angry that they killed my Holy Roman Emperor. And of course, the thing about that game is, if you're playing as a certain faction, like especially a Christian faction of the time, and you attack another Christian faction, then the Pope will excommunicate you, or he'll warn you off, and if you keep doing that, he'll give you into trouble. And the thing about it was, if you think about a game like that, where obviously it's a game, obviously this is a film, so there's no real world consequences, but in terms of me thinking, oh well, I'm just going to wipe this nation off the map, to which case these other nations would then gang up on me, and it was a very short run. But at the same time, it does kind of remind me of the way that Picard was just so fixated on, as we said, getting his revenge and everything, sacrificing his pieces, as it were. Or was it was it less of a revenge for him and more of a I have been on the receiving end directly of this collective, and I know the horror they will inflict upon Earth, and God knows how much. I mean, and she says the Borg Queen in that bit where she's like, "Today, well, we've met many, we've met many uh, species, we've met many, we've assimilated a lot. You know, this is not their first rodeo. Like they've been doing this again and again and again. Same with." the aliens in Independence Day, you get the feeling that this is not the first time they've done this. They consume a planet and move on. You get that feeling that it's like, this isn't the first time they've done this. And maybe he is saying this fast, we need to take a stand here because if we don't. But I think he goes about it the wrong way. But I think his sentiments are initially right, that at a certain point you have to say, right, it doesn't make any sense, but we have to push through this. It reminds you of certain things that have happened in history where everything goes against the country and it's like, no, we need to make a stand here. We need to make a stand, otherwise every everything that we stand for or have ever stood for all the right and wrong will go you've seen that in country after country and I think there's a point where you have to take that stand and whether you live or die by that choice you've got to try because otherwise what you stand for it goes you don't know whether he's like see why I like these films this is is like why he's wondering like oh I do agree he has PTSD and all that he's really struggling and I think he goes a bit too far but I think his sentiments are correct but again it doesn't tell you he never walks up to her and says oh yeah thank you you like you were right and it's the same with Worf he says oh I apologise for some of the things I said so he never truly there's never that true kind of like oh he was right they were wrong type thing it still leaves it. it's nuance I love a bit of nuance and we've lost that in films and TVs we've lost it not all of them but the majority of them we've we've lost that nuance of we're not going to spoon feed you're not thick we're not going to spoon feed you and tell you what's right and what's wrong we're, we're going to let you work out we're going to not even let you work out we're just going to give you a fantasy film or we're going to give you a film or a series and show you what it is and these are the characters and not all good and not all bad the bad ones aren't all bad and the good ones aren't all good but that's life baby and let's kick on with it let you you enjoy it when you make a great series no you do make a good point though there it is very nuanced as you said it is interesting to see that because i suppose you could argue as well that yes saying that oh he's doing it for the federation but then you're kind of like well in a way he is but because his opinions are so subjective towards this issue because he has been kidnapped and as you said it's the idea that he knows what they're going to do to them but he's kind of doing it in a very counterproductive way that he's saying oh yeah just throw as many men as you can at them or men and women at them and it'll be fine it'll be fine and you know obviously it's not and his irrational side is coming out yeah it's that idea of knowing when to quit essentially and eventually of course he sees reason but before that point you kind of think is he going to see that before it's too late and everything and you know you've got the very cheesy yet iconic lines in the film like you've got the assimilate this by Worf which is so cheesy but it's so good the only one I don't like I have to say and I feel as if it's so forced is when they're talking to Cochrane and they're explaining how they're from the 
future yeah, and he goes what is yeah <laughs> what is this some kind of star trek and i'm like oh even star wars didn't do that even star wars didn't go what is it some star wars or something yeah, i it's think like, star wars needs to take a long good look at itself before it starts throwing stones at any other franchises that's it you know i don't want to say you jumped the millennium falcon but uh you, you, you did no i'm joking about it. but no yeah I, I that was the one line where i was like oh god it reminded me of that scene in family guy where he's like ah, he said it he said the title of the movie i'm a family guy that's what it reminded me of and i was like oh why because it didn't make sense for him to say it if he just said oh you what you're on some kind of trek i'd be like oh okay yeah i get that because they're in the mountains and that's what that makes sense but to be like what what is this some kind of star trek it's oh no i, I agree with you the minute you said i was like i know what he's gonna say because i mean even q i think it's the finale the first part of the finale of tng where he says something about them trekking amongst the stars and although it's obvious what the writers were getting at there it makes more sense for someone to say trekking amongst the stars than this is some kind of star trek first contact tm what is this some kind of paramount plus release it's like what the hell Cochrane? his character was great I, I did like that I did like his character I liked Lily I thought she was great and it was just all around just a cracking film really because I've got to be honest when I got in earlier I was like oh god I could so go to sleep but I thought no no come on watch First Contact you'll be alright and I, I you know never once did I want to turn it off and go to sleep and that's it because I am shattered it's, it's just great I just I love it I feel a bit sorry for people who grow up now and, and kind of if they, if they think that Star Trek is just what the new series are I'm like oh you need to go back you need to go back and watch the, watch the good stuff like watch the good stuff watch the series that in invented the mobile phone years before it even turned up it's a communicator that's what it is like we know what it, you know and yeah i would just reiterate that if you haven't seen this film yet and you're looking for just such a good bit of star trek content definitely go see first contact it's available i think at the moment or as of recording this episode if you've got a paramount plus subscription then you can get it for free on amazon prime well i say free but you know what i mean free-ish uh, and for ringy terms yeah free-ish yeah I would wholeheartedly recommend this and I would recommend this as well as a starting point as well if you want to get into the Star Trek films because if if I was going to choose a series for people to start off with always TNG always I mean my partner her and I actually watched Star Trek Picard the third season thankfully not the first two but because the third season was coming on the same friend who introduced me to the series would come round every Friday and we would all watch it together and you know she was really into the character she was like oh Worf is cool and you know she would recognise people it actually led to a really cute moment when we watched this film together and you know the scene where they're racing back and she's like oh look there's Picard there's Riker and then you see the Defiant and Worf pops up and she went oh my god it's Worf and I was so proud I was just so proud I would definitely obviously the TNG series if you're looking to get into the series but if you're looking to get into the films I would 110% say First Contact is your first port of call. I mean Ratha Khan as well also a good shout but I feel as if it's the perfect blend of modern or maybe not blend but maybe more of a bridge between the old Star Trek and what was to follow. Uh, if there's any insurrection or 
Nemesis fans or, you know, the Abrams albums, then, you know, fair enough. We can't tell you that, oh, you shouldn't enjoy that because if you enjoy them, that is perfectly valid. If someone's opinion about a film affects yours, how much do you really love it? Exactly. I know how bad Batman and Robin is. doesn't stop me loving it. And I believe you may, I know how bad it is, but I love it all the beat. Love it to pieces. You could shout at me, tell me it's terrible. It's not going to affect me. So don't worry about what other people think. Enjoy what you like. Yeah, I feel as if it is definitely the perfect bridge between what was to come later on where it got a bit too gory and dark and it lost its way versus the campiness of the earlier run, which don't get me wrong, there is a charm to some of it. Some of it's aged poorly, but you know, it was made in the 60s and 70s, so you can kind of give it a pass in some regards. Others, you're just like, nah, this doesn't hold up. But yeah, if you haven't watched this film, absolutely go watch it. You could not find a better Star Trek film. But on that note, where can these lovely listeners at home find your content? Well, if you can wrench yourself away from listening to Satsu's amazing content, because he is killing it right now. Oh, thank you. Genuinely killing me how successful he is right now. But I'm joking. No, it's well deserved. If, <laughs> if you fancy a little bit of some film reviews of all different manners with loads of different guests, Review Yourself is the place to, to go, essentially. So, it's hosted by me, Sean. I have guests on all the time, including yours truly, Satsu. Satsu's on there. We've done some Bake Off stuff, so go check that out if you want. So basically it's no politics, no pandering, no point. You can find is on Twitter it's at yourself review we're also on Instagram it's review yourself podcast 2021 good pods all these different places you can find us I say us it's just it's just me really and yeah go on I'm sure you'll find something there that you like although having checked my 230 odd whatever it is episodes I've done haven't done a Star Trek yet I'm disgusted in myself I've done a Star Wars not done a Star Trek so yeah I'll have to rectify that quick honestly it's been a pleasure being on your podcast as well genuinely if you haven't listened to the review yourself podcast and especially our episodes together please do because they were a lot of fun to record and even more fun to listen back to so definitely go check them out I couldn't recommend them more good starting point for anybody who, who's jumped over from Satsu's go listen to the ones of me and him get a flavour of what my reviews are like and then jump into some of the others I'd recommend jumping into some of the ones I do with Bill from Bill Reed's Bad Reviews those tend to do quite well give them a go as a starting point and then work your way through all the others with my other fantastic guests our crossover episodes are like the podcast version of Star Trek Gen Generations, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not with me falling under some rocks, you know, but... Oh, no, 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 you're f- falling under a bridge, falling off a bridge and getting crushed by a bridge. Oh, yeah. You could say to me, Satsu, who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise? No. <laughs> yeah, and then he ends up coming back to life or something in the books. Oh, I don't know. I'll need to read that, but... Oh, it was he wrote that book, didn't he, though? He co-wrote it with somebody, Shatner, I think. I think he did anyway. <sighs> of course he did. But then again, he did direct the fifth film, I want to say. He didn't do the screenplay, but he did direct it, which, yeah, you can certainly tell. He <laughs> did it. I know we never mentioned the directing, did we? No, so I'm not just yeah, saying. Yeah, I think we the, did. The direction's yeah. decent. Jonathan Frakes decent. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. But honestly, Sean, thank you so much again. And yeah, if you want to listen to more Chatsunami content, then you can catch us on our website, podpage.com forward slash Chatsunami, where not only can you get past episodes, but you can also get a absolutely fantastic interview that Sean and I did together, where we talked about the world of indie podcasting. So, definitely go check that one out as well either after this or after you're done with the collab ones over on his channel so please go check that out I also want to thank our amazing Pandalorian patrons Robotic Battles hoster and Sonia thank you so much once again for supporting the channel. That's such a good mix of names that. See you laughed the last time I remember that (laughs) 
<laughs> robotic battle. I'm easily toaster. pleased. I'm easily pleased. And yeah, if you want to check out either exclusive content or episodes a week early, you can check it out on patreon.com forward slash chat tsunami. But until next time, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, live long and prosper. I've always wanted to say that. Yes, that's <laughs> nice. I like it. Yeah, yeah, I like it.